From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. When you pick up some scratches, cause you want a fun break The playful way you scratch is the next choice you should make You can make your dog's leg kick and scratch with that You could even grab a laser pointer and use your cap You could build yourself a homemade scratching machine Or use a piece from your chest set Go ahead, grab the queen Scratch like a DJ with your record player A cactus could scratch off that scratchable layer Cause when it comes to scratching, there's a million playful ways Thanks to scratchers from the California lottery A little play can make your day Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase, play, or claim. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. New activation and upfront payment for three-month plan required. Taxes and fees extra. Additional restrictions apply. See mintmobile.com for full terms. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com Welcome back to Little Cuts, our weekly mini-sode where we dig into the things that we've been watching recently. I'm Terry. I'm Mary Beth. Uh, this week we're chatting about The Further, a true crime docuseries, Sweeney Todd, but with empanadas and weed. 
We check in with our favorite underdog chefs, and then lastly, we travel to Lithuania for a new slasher. It's a lot here, and I'm glad that we're getting a lot here, because um, for those that don't know, this is going to be the last little cuts that we do for about a month-ish. Mary Beth is doing a secret project. Yeah, I can't say much, but I am doing a project, and I will be in the middle of nowhere for three and a half weeks. So I will not be able to record. So we're going to be in a brief, brief little cuts hiatus. We'll, we'll still have full episodes. And as patrons know, we have paused Patreon for the month just because it's it's just not going to be possible to record. Right. And also my schedule got moved up much. Like it's everything's happening yeah. much quicker than I thought. So we're we just. We thought we had like almost <laughs> the entire month to to like prep in advance. And uh, no. You know. So. Yeah, so we're just being flexible, and we're just, we're adapting, loosey-goosey, flexible, really is giving me an exercise in learning spontaneity (laughs) and not having to have every single moment of my life planned out, because that's not possible with what I'm doing. And probably some patience. Yeah, well, that, that I have, weirdly enough. Uh, Shocking, I know, but professionally, (laughs) I have more patience than it might seem on the podcast, but... Anyway, so... I think you're a patient person. I try. I try to be. But yeah, so... So Little Cuts will be gone. So yeah. But we promise it'll come back. It will. It's, it's just, coming back when uh, I'm back. It's just... Yep. I can't really... I don't have a lot of time to record whilst I'm right. away. Or watch anything, to be real, honestly. Like, I would probably yeah. be so boring if... Again, <laughs> like, I would be boring. Because um, I'm not going to have a lot of time to watch my own shit. Oh, shit! Cool! That's so Thank cool. you so much! whoa <laughs> that's weird in a good way i'm sorry i'm really bad at taking compliments and like being perceived on so, the internet so i'm yeah it's bad, bad for bad. our listeners um glaive is in our uh comments and says that they've been a fan of mb since they used her mfa essay as a source for your research paper a few years ago and that's fucking cool my mfa piece i wrote for i think bright wall dark room Oof, that was oh. a rough one yeah, MFA is yeah, very good. I need to watch MFA. I've never seen it. You have to. What and hard to watch, yeah. but it's real good. What if we did a series on rape revenge? I mean, I will gladly, gladly guide you through. I don't think I could do like a long series, to be perfectly frank. Yeah, no, that's fair. But. <laughs> I would source the good ones, though. The ones that aren't like horrendous to watch and aren't just like a slog to get through. They're still, but they're still emotionally exhausting. Like, it's not going to be easy. Anyway, we can check. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's just an idea. And I even have some rape revenge movies that involve men that are victims of sexual assault, which is very, very hard to find. So, All right. Enough about this. Let's talk about what we've seen this week. Uh, let's talk about The Further. I'm very excited to hear about this one because I haven't seen it yet. So I have the great pleasure in sharing that Insidious 5, The Red Door, is actually pretty good. Good. It has no right to be as good as a fifth installment of a franchise <laughs> like this should be. And like, I'm not... I mean, let's growing... be honest. The <laughs> Insidious is like all over the place in terms oh, of like... yeah. ...quality. So yes, uh, the fact that the fifth one is actually good in this series with the first time director as well, that's, that's wild. It's wild. So Daddy Patrick Wilson, who is the, also the star, um, Alexa played Daddy as Fuck by Slater. Yes, Tony, that is correct. <laughs> Patrick Wilson, who has been the star of the Insidious franchise, as well as the Conjuring franchise, he's directing this one. 
And so this one comes back to the Lambert family. So the first two films are about the Lamberts. It's who are haunted by... They realize that the, the men can astral project and all this crazy shit. Three and four were prequels that were kind of about Lynn Shay's character, Elise. And now five, we are back with the Lamberts ten years after what happened ten in the years. F- first two. And wow. all of the people who were in the first one, most of them reprise their role in the family. So like Ty Simpkins is back as Dalton and then the two other kids um, are back too. And so um, also Rose Byrne is actually in it for a decent chunk of time. And obviously Patrick Wilson. And so here Dalton, it's been 10 years. They don't remember what happened after the second one. But now that Dalton is away at school and he's on his own, he is starting to have nightmares of a red door and he is basically it's basically a whole story about like trying to repress trauma and then like uh oh knock knock like pretty literally like who's at the door it's it's a demon it's your girl trauma it's your girl trauma but like it's not done in a super annoying heavy-handed way i mean i was actually pretty surprised how well it was handled in terms of like in terms of like not trying to be too heavy-handed with the trauma stuff but like still doing it in a way that it's like pretty like, they know what they're doing, but they're not trying to make it this, like, deep movie. It's also, like, a little bit of a slower burn. Like, focusing kind of okay. on Patrick Wilson and Tyson Kins's like, parallel healing processes and how they're processing what's happening to them. And, like, I don't know. It's, it's definitely, like, a mid-plus movie. Like, it's not perfect. I am not here to tell you it's a masterpiece. But I'm here to tell you there's some really good scares. And, like, again, it's... I'm not, like, super familiar with the rest of them. Like, I've seen one and two. Oh, no, I've seen all of them except for four. So I don't know what I'm talking about. I just I've not seen four. I haven't seen four. Three was, three was, three had some good scares, but, like, it's iffy. But this one, I don't know. This whole returning back to the Lamberts, I think it was really well done for what it is. The cat scan thing and the ad, Tony, that scare is incredible. I also haven't watched any of the ad. I, I know I work in horror, but I try so hard not to watch the trailers, even when I post them, because, like, I don't... Trailers give so much away, and I just, like... And I have this problem... I don't know if it's a problem, but this, like, this habit where, like, I will lock on to parts of the trailer and find them in the movie, and then so I can, like, time yep. mark where things are and, like, what things are happening. And so... I do the same thing. It's just, like... It's not a bad thing. It's just, like... I don't, it's not my favorite. I don't really like, it feels like I'm trying to seek something out to match it an ad rather than like watching the movie. So yeah. I feel I'm not present in the movie when yeah, I'm looking that's... for like those ad things. Yeah. Well, it makes me feel better that I'm not the only person that does that. No, you're not. I am, <laughs> I am I'm exactly like, the same way. It's a weird OCD thing, but yeah. No, it's a, I'm a, I'm a, I mean, it might be, I don't know, but I actually, <laughs> I do the same thing, which is why I stayed away from the cobweb trailer and uh, we I can't haven't talk about watched the movie the, yet. Yeah, but I'm really glad that I didn't watch the trailer before I watched the movie. We can't talk about it. Sorry, <laughs> and you're not going to hear us talk about it on little cuts. But um, yeah, I'm the same way. I just I the more the more I go to see movies, the less I want to know about it. It seems like because yep. I will do that. I did the same thing with um, Evil Dead Rise. To be perfectly honest, yeah, I just and like this is like not a new take, and everyone says it. I just like. Trailers have too much a lot of the time. They do. They just spoil too much. And I think it's just like, it's not. I don't need to know at this For point. For every barbarian trailer, there are yeah. too many that spoil everything. And like, I already have so many thoughts about Insidious. I don't need a trailer to like further try to sway me one way or another. And again, like, I'm not, they're trying to market to a wider audience here. Like, it's not me, yeah. obviously. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that 
I am not a monolith and slash don't represent other people's marketing stuff. But like, yeah, I try. I've just started to try to avoid them at all costs. I'm glad it's good, though. Yeah, it's out this weekend. So if you want to go see it, it's got to be it's going to be fun. See, it's gonna, either going to be really fun to see in a theater or people are just going to be really loud. So like, it's definitely going to be a movie that's going to get people like yelling and stuff and so if you don't want that experience don't see it this weekend but if you're cool with that kind of like communal some people hate that shit and like whatever Mm -hmm. but just so you know this is a movie that's like gonna have people like hooting and hollering in their seats i'm excited because the entire cast is back like that i I know we could have a movie 10 years later that is having the original it's neat that's really cool yeah and again ty simpkins not a bad actor good for him good Good for him so we're gonna like Go right from the further back to reality here with a mm. true crime docu series. I what? Tell me everything. Yeah, so I have I have a weird relationship with true crime. I feel I I, I do feel like it sometimes um, not necessarily glamorizes, but hypes up maybe the yeah. more lascivious aspects. Oh, of Oh yeah. And so I it makes me uncomfortable sometimes when I watch it because I think you know this is these are real people and we're watching it almost as entertainment. Uh, so. I was a little hesitant about this, but I'm covering this new series that's that's premiering on HBO Max, Max, whatever the fuck you want to call it. It's going to be HBO Max for me, <laughs> probably for the yeah, rest whatever. of Fucking, my life. Who knows? But it's a it's a new series. It's premiering this coming Sunday, and it's going to be a four part series. It's called Last Call: When a Serial Killer Stalked Queer New York, and it oh, is about okay. Yeah, so it it's set as sort of like the AIDS crisis is intensifying in the early 90s. It's set in New York where people, cops have found parts of a body that had been strewn across the New Jersey Turnpike in bags. And a maintenance worker f- ends up finding the head of a victim in a bag that rips when he's trying to get it out of a truck. Ah, so, fuck that. Yeah, and so then it, so it, it kind of follows that initial murder and then come to find out that a year earlier there was another closeted gay man that was killed outside of or from, from after going to this bar called the Townhouse in New York, which was catering mostly to um, upper class closeted businessmen, basically. And they find out that that another person was killed, his body parts strewn across um, the New Jersey Turnpike. I think I think that's where that was. I'm not 100% sure about that last part, but it was it was it was striking very similar very similar notes. And so I've only seen the first episode right now, but um this first episode takes that kind of horrifying case and uses it to sort of explore what it was like to be queer in New York in that in that time frame. So they have interviews with the police that were working the case, which um, a lot of the the queer people distrusted still distrust to this day um and it kind of explores this sort of institutional disinformation misinformation willful ignorance whatever you want to call it from the police as well as this anti-violence act um, advocacy group called avp anti-violence program i think that was a queer funded program that i didn't even know about that that ran in new york and they even had like a um a local television show that was like gay hour and it was like gay news and they would cover hate crimes. They would cover things to tell people, the queer people, about um, that were affecting this this time. And so it sort of is using these two people initially. I think there's going to be more um, as sort of 
a framing device to sort of explore the sort of homophobia that we would see in the 90s, um, as well as focusing on the people that were trying to do something good for queer people who were also queer, as well as sort of exploring the love lives of the people. Like we get to see um, the daughter who found out posthumously that her husband, that her, that her husband, her dad was um, queer, as well as um, another, the other man, um, his, his kind of lover that a relationship kind of unfolded over the course of decades. And so they have all these really interesting interviews. Uh, so Tony asked at the first episode reveal who the killers. No, they didn't. And I don't really know anything about it. I'm trying to go in sort of cold on this. So I, I don't know who the killer is. But the first episode did what I want to see from true crime. It used this as sort of like a way to explore institutional biases against queer people and how isolated and alone queer people are. And I think it's important part of queer history to look back at what has happened before and to see how tenuous our um, our rights are, because there's a lot of things that this series talks about that I think still finds relevance, unfortunately, to today. So I think it's going to be really good. I've only seen the first episode, so I don't know if it's going to really leer into the more lurid details. But what I'm seeing so far is the makings of a very interesting, multifaceted docuseries about queer life in 1991, as well as the fact that the serial killer stalking New York. Um, I'm covering it with Joe Lipset of the Horror Queers. So we'll, if you guys are following along with it, we're going to be writing reviews and all that kind of stuff for it um, for the next four episodes. So follow along with us if you are watching it. Huh. But yeah, that's Last Call. And it starts premieres the 9th of july this sunday on hbo max all right well now i'm looking into this killer and now i'm like uh oh another serial killer for me to look into but anyway yeah the book is supposed to be really good too the book was supposed to be like apparently the book it was like i'm looking at it the book was kind of praised for how it shifted looking at the victims and not the killer and so i I, i'm assuming the documentary is going to follow that i think it's going to be less about sensationalizing him and more talking about like the queer community in New York, which is good. I mean, like it doesn't need yeah. to be some, I think that, yeah. Cause like what I, so what I really liked and what really kind of broke my heart is this sort of like there's this older man that they're interviewing who um, had hooked up with one of the, the victims and had been friends with him. And then that kind of blossomed to a relationship while they were both kind of on the down low and just sort of like seeing him talk about this person was like, whew, it got me emotional just because like you yeah. see like how much they had to hide who they were in, the, in this time in particular. And it just, it and hits I, hard. It's like so watching it. The di- well, I watched it the day after the SCOTUS announcement. Oh, cool. So, yeah. Like- awesome. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's just like so important for people to continue to see queer elders to both one, remember our history as queer yeah. people and like two to understand, like, Baby queers right now who are, like, very much in the age of the internet, just, like, I'm not saying they're going to watch this, and I'm not trying to be mean to, like, younger queer people who are learning things, but, like, this is the kind of thing that's, like, important for young queer people to see. I mean, all queer people, but especially young queer people for a lot of reasons to understand where we came from, to understand how far we've come, to, like, understand this puritanical attitude that we seem to now be having about sex and sexuality is incredibly harmful, and, and I think this... Again, I don't think it's probably going to hit that audience necessarily, but it's still an important piece of media to have out there about like understanding what repression and this kinds of puritanical attitudes like led to and like 
so many different ways, not just in reactions to AIDS crises, but like, I won't spoil anything because I was reading about it on Wikipedia, but like the killer and stuff like that. Like, it's just, I think these kinds of things are so important. And also understanding queer, like there's, there's been queer love for so long. Like this is not a new thing. Yeah. Queer love has existed. And again, this is not that long ago either. So it's not like that groundbreaking, no. but still like queer love is not new. Queer love is not some like new manufactured thing by people to like be woke. Like, queer love has always existed and queer love has always been around and queerness has always been a thing. And I think these kinds of documentaries that are willing to engage with that and talk about that is are so important especially if it's not going to sensationalize it and not be like ooh, yeah. gay men instead of like yeah there was a vibrant queer community in new york city of course there fucking was so right exactly anyway I... <laughs> on my queer history high horse for a second <laughs> well no i think i think it really is important because you can see how far things have come yes but you can also see how tenuous our grasp is on basic rights and as we know the majority rights history and so it's the little things like this that um, I didn't know about. I mean, I I would have been, I mean, I guess it would have been 10 when this when this first started happening. But like none of this was ever broadcasted to to me. Like this isn't something that I knew about. And so there's there's I think it's important that we have people talk about a history that is rarely ever seen outside of these niche projects. And I don't know, as a queer person, you got to know where we come from and all the hard fight, all the hard fights that we've had to have over decades in order to see where we are now and to see how we can continue to thrive. So, yeah, I think exactly. this is important. I'm hoping that it stays. I'm hoping that this first episode is like a thesis to what the rest of the show is going to focus on. Yeah, because I'm really enjoying this so far and I I want it to be respectful and good. Yeah. So, wow. Wildly swinging, but also in New York still. Yeah. Let's talk about Sweeney Todd with empanadas and weed. Okay. So this is the new Prime video show, The Horror of Dolores Roach, which is a Sweeney Todd type story, but with Dolores Roach as our anti-hero slash complicated protagonist. She has been wrongfully was wrongfully incarcerated for, I believe, 16 years for possession of marijuana. And she comes back to her home in Washington Heights, where she lived and grew up. And it has been 16 years and everything has changed. Uh, the place where she used to live is, is gone. Um, all of the people she knew are gone. It's been gentrified. But what she finds is still left is a little empanada shop run by a kid she used to know, Louise. And he says, I will give you a place to stay for as long as you need it. And I'll give you as much weed as you want. And you can eat empanadas and you have a place to stay. And she, you know, reveals that she, her roommate, um, her cellmate in prison, Tabitha, taught her how to be a massage therapist. So she's a massage therapist and starts making money that way. And then, you know, as you do, uh, cannibalism somehow gets involved in terms of accidental deaths and cutting up people to put in empanadas. And hilarity ensues in a very, in a funny, but dark as shit, stoner comedy slash cannibal horror movie that's almost exclusively black and brown actors. Justina Machado is the lead. She plays Dolores Roach and she's fucking incredible. And like, she is like, not like, um, she's like, it's not older. It's not the right word, but she is like not a young 
Latina woman who is bisexual and is a chaotic kind of a bitch, but means well. And and she's a stoner. And it's just like, it's just like the, it's really good writing. It's, it's ridiculous. But like, of course, Sweeney Todd mm-hmm. is ridiculous. Like if you're going into this yeah. expecting like anything kind of realistic, <laughs> like d- you don't have the right attitude for the show. But the writing is just so fucking wacky and fun and gross and like just the right amounts of fucked up and weird and funny and nice and sweet and like family like found family it's just wild and i know that you've only watched the first episode i have watched all of them it's eight episodes 30 minutes each and i just i think this is so good and i it's based on a podcast it was a stage play and then it was a podcast and then now it is a show I don't know. I just think it's fun. I think there's it's doing so many things that like so many shows should be doing. It's funny. It's weird. I don't know, man. Like it's just it's just neat. <laughs> it's just neat. I love. I just think it's neat. It's I. It's just I like just it's, it's just neat. neat. It's just it's it good. Is. I I wanted to watch the entire series before we recorded because I knew you had seen it. You had liked it. I had screeners. I've only seen the first episode because this weekend was. A lot of me not doing a lot of things. So. I mean, valid. <laughs> Absolutely valid. But, um, but the first episode immediately pulled me in, and I cannot wait to see where it's going to go with its Sweeney Toddness. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that it is good. Yeah, Tony, let's not talk about Diablo 4 and the tension it has pulled on my life. It is bad. It is bad. But also good. Yeah. So if that... It all comes to... Um, prime this friday so it's as of the recording as of the release of this podcast they should all be out on amazon or on prime video but yeah it's fun and gross so you know my two favorite things fun and gross kind of you know i know it's not exactly the same but we're sticking in the kitchen our favorite underdog chefs we're just moving from um new york where one of the characters did work to Chicago with the second season of The Bear. Now, I've only watched a few episodes of the second season because, again, Diablo. But I just wanted to say that if you have not watched the first season of this show, go binge it right I gotta now. binge it. I the gotta finish season. watching it. I gotta finish watching it. I know the second season is the you fucking do. best. Ugh. Ugh. Why is there so what much I love, to watch? Okay. You fucking asshole. I know. Stop that's the problem. Content. There's so much coming out. But, okay. So, I'm, I'm going to keep this as spoiler-free as possible, the first season is kind of about these underdog chefs coming together in this um, old-school sandwich shop in Chicago. And it was a family run. Um, the person that owned it had unfortunately committed suicide. And his his one of his brothers is now coming to sort of run it. His brother was an executive chef in New York where he was working at a very fancy restaurant. And so he has some knowledge and he's trying to get this this kitchen up and running and make it profitable um, to honor his um, his family. And last week I talked about um, Ayo Adibiri. Adibiri? Oh, yeah. Ayo Adibiri. Ayo. Ayo Adibiri, who was in Bottoms. She is also, of course, one of the stars of The Bear and she is absolutely fantastic. Season two picks up. So uh, season one, all I will say is that it ends with sort of a deus ex machina that kind of bothered me um, because it felt like it was solving problems without the characters actually solving problems. Well, this first episode of season two um, says, yeah, that was a nice thing. However, in order to make this restaurant into what 
Carney, the main character played by Jeremy Allen White, who I find so incredibly attractive in a weird douchebag sexy. Yeah, yeah. He is trying to make uh, his restaurant into something a lot bigger than what it started out as. And so they have some money. They are trying to basically stretch that money as much as possible and get new funding to create a restaurant that he want that he wants to see. And so I've only seen a few of the first episodes, but it's it felt like, you know, when you go back to characters that you love and it just feels like you're coming into home and it just sort of like, oh, I miss this. That is how I feel about the about the show. I could have easily have binged it this weekend because that first episode grabbed me, but I'm trying really hard to like savor each episode because they're only 30 minutes long. There's only 10 of them. I know it's I know if it gets renewed, there's it's going to be another year before I get to watch them. So I'm trying to like pull out as much joy as possible from this. And I have to say, if people thought the first season wasn't funny, I thought it was very funny in a very cringe humor, dark humor sort of way. This season is really kind of embracing the funny, I think, because we have characters established and the writers are, are more confident in what they want to build. Oh. Like we're seeing a lot more fun things start to happen and more character interactions that I really like. So I I can't wait to see where the season's going to go. No spoilers. I just, I love this. I love them. And it's the bear. All 18 episodes from season one and two are streaming on Hulu right now. So if you're looking for a binge, they're 30 minute episodes. They go quick. Episode 7 of season 1 remains the probably the best 30 minutes of television. I think it's actually 20 24 minutes of television that I've ever that I've seen. I think it is so good. It is one long take in a kitchen where shit is hitting the fan and it is really good and I cannot wait to see if they do something similar in season 2. But yeah. That's the bear. I love it. Go Fuck watch yeah. it now. Okay. Yeah, I'm probably going to do that after this. <laughs> <laughs> Because you watched a few episodes with your parents, I right? did. I did. It's just like... Your mom's a chef. My Because mo- my parents are chefs and they love the bear. Like, they love the bear because it's just like... It's funny watching with them because they're like, oh, yeah, that's like... They just like point out the things that like are real slash make sense. Like, mm-hmm. or they get like, like stuff they kind of understand in the kitchen because they both also come from like more fine dining and also like shitty kitchens. So they have that experience and like... Yeah. understand that world in a really interesting way so it's cool to watch it with them and get their perspective on it um but they've watched all of season two i think already and they love it so that's so cool uh yes you know a, a movie that i really want to watch um after because someone told me after i watched that episode seven and i loved it someone told me to watch the boiling boiling point which i guess is a whole movie done in one take in a kitchen on one night of like the kitchen like probably going to hell and hand oh. basket too oh I, I agree, Tony. One-take movies are so rad. I find them very fascinating. Oh, I've and heard so, of this. Okay. That sounds like I would shit my pants. To watch. <laughs> Six takes total. Wow. Yeah, that yeah. movie fucked my ass up, by the way, Tony. Kidnapped is fucked up. It's Kidnapped. so good, but it's fucked up. It's like, it's like, it's like our extreme horror vibe bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, it's that. All right. So I don't really know how to segue into this one, but yeah, lastly, there's no we good are way. traveling to Lithuania for a new slasher, which... I love me some slashers. So this is the new Screambox slasher called We Might Hurt Each Other, also known as Pensive, but it is the English title is We Might Hurt Each Other. Uh, This was the last one of the last things I watched Chattanooga that I really loved. Um, Basically follows a group of of high school students who have just graduated from high school and they're going on a trip 
And it's a but it's like their entire class and their entire class goes on the trip to this like remote location. There's these weird like folk dolls around. They all get fucked up, start fucking with the dolls, being disrespectful, being little shits. And then a villain, a slasher villain comes along and just starts fucking wrecking kids. And like when I say this, it was like 50 ish kids and like they're getting fucking destroyed. And that is it takes a little bit to kind of build up. At first, it's like a little bit like I, I was a little bit like, all right, all right, all right, I get it. Like this guy sucks. Like we're getting up. like it's like the character development parts that like can be a little bit slow, but once it hits the violence, it's just like holy shit. The kills are gnarly. It's a mean ass movie. Like it's really it's quite it's quite good. It is quite good, and Thomas it has a full them kids. The movie it is, and it's very much like a um. <laughs> It's like a folk horror slasher, which is like super cool. And I wish there was more folk horror in it, but I just, I really liked seeing this take like from a, like it's, it's Lithuania's first slasher, not shocking. And so I'm like, it's really quite good and fucked up and weird and it looks really good. And it's coming to Screenbox this month. So if you have Screenbox or like you want to do a trial, it'll be there. And I really enjoyed it. I was quite impressed. And I've been here. I've been hearing about it at festivals and stuff. And so I was excited to check it out. And it's pretty gnarly. So yeah, that is. We might hurt each other. I keep forgetting. The, the, That's exciting. So, there's so many titles that are coming out that are like, like what? Can we go back to the Outwaters and Skin and Rank? Like one word titles that aren't like a goddamn sentence. Where I'm like, I don't remember the order of the words. <laughs> there's too many prepositions and conjunctions and shit to remember. I, you know, I feel like. Um, particularly young adult uh, novels and movies right now are taking like a cue from the early emo bands with like song titles that were like a paragraph long. I just feel like the titles are just getting ridiculous. <laughs> yep. So that is that movie. And again, that's coming to Screenbox this month. So it's one of those Chattanooga movies. I actually know where you, when and where you will be able to see it. Also, real quick, how how are you enjoying Final Fantasy 16? Because that is all my husband has been playing for a couple of weeks. I'm not as far in it as I wanted to be. I, my, I had planned to play a lot of it this weekend, and that kind of fell through. But um, I am about, I think, halfway through the game, and I love it. I love it so much. It's not so much an RPG anymore as it is sort of like, I don't know. It reminds me like people are talking about how it's obviously pulled from Game of Thrones. And I can, I guess I can see that. I don't think it's Game of Thrones ish, but like about it is I, it reminds me a little bit of a, another Square Enix game that they made called Nier Autom- Automata. Oh yeah. It reminds me of sort of like a little bit of that in terms of like the way the world is presented. But I just, I don't know. I, it's very interesting. The men in it are so incredibly hot. Daddy. <laughs> I know. Every time I walk by, I'm like, who are these hot men? Just like on my television screen. Well, and Sid, who is a hot daddy for sure in this, is voiced by Ralph um, in- Innocent. Is that uh-huh. his name? Oh, yeah. Because I was like, I'm From sorry, is that witch? Ralph Innocent's witch. voice like coming out of my television um, in a Final Fantasy game? Which right is ironic because... He he also plays a character in Diablo Four, and both oh, games right. released within like a month of each other. And so I'm getting his dulcet tones in Diablo Four, and then I go play Final Fantasy, and I'm hearing his dulcet tones again. And I'm like, oh, just talk to me. <laughs> uh, on that note, on that daddy note, uh, who are we talking to on Monday? Okay, so on Monday we are talking with Nick Kozakis, who. 
Um, he's a he's a music video director and a horror movie director. Uh, he you know his music video if you've listened to Tones and I's Dance Monkey. He did the music video for that and a number of other Tones and I uh, music videos as well as some horror shorts. And his latest film is called Godless: The Eastfield Exorcism, which Mary Beth talked about and said something to the effect of "Your stomach in your asshole while watching it." That sounds I believe, like something I'd say. To paraphrase it, <laughs> sounds like about something correct. around that. Give or take a couple syllables, I think that probably is about it. Yeah, and so we talk about that, and then he brought with him Audition. Kitty, kitty, kitty. Kitty, 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 kitty. We gotta talk about Audition. Yes, we sure fucking did. Um, So, like we said at the beginning, this is our last little cuts until August. You will have Monday episodes still, so you will still be hearing us every week, just not twice a week. So on that note, listeners, we want to hear from you when we come back. What's our, what's what's a new series we should start doing? Should we do Rape Revenge? Should we do something else? You can let us know by sending us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm McGailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. And as of right now, you can't sign up for a Patreon because if you pause it, you can't get new people. But when we come back in August, sign up. You will have some fresh wounds waiting for you. You'll have videos of um, little cuts if you sign up for it. There's like a lot of stuff you can do. So help support us when we're back. Please uh, send me good vibes for my project. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Mm-hmm. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you everyone for listening. Please stay safe out there, but most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. to scratch there's a playful way you can do just that scratch with the key or acrylic nail scratch with the quill from a porcupine tail use a belt buckle from your friend lamar or scratch with your pick while you play guitar you can scratch in a bunch of different playful ways scratchers from the california lottery a little play can make your day please play responsibly must be 18 years or older to purchase player claim ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. 
Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.